Morning, everyone. It's great to see. Do people who have amazing faith, who do incredible things in really tough circumstances, do people like that inspire you? Do people who you think, do you know what, they've chosen here to trust God, they've chosen to go out on a limb, they've chosen to do amazing things for God, do they inspire you? I wonder actually, if we're really honest, if the answer to the question is yes with a little no attached to it. Because I wonder how many of us, when we look at people like that, who have extreme faith, who seem to trust God in amazing circumstances, who go out on a limb and just put themselves out there, they inspire us and at the same time, they slightly intimidate us. They slightly demotivate us. Because what we do is we look at where we are ourselves, and we look at where we perceive them to be and we think, you know, there are oceans between us. And we look at them and we think, somehow, I could never be like that. I could never trust God like that. I could never do that. I could never have that kind of faith. Somehow, what we do is we think that this person is somehow superhuman. Like, their pants are on the outside. Do you know what I mean? And my pants are clearly and definitely on the inside. Do you understand what I mean by that? Not by the pants thing, but by what I'm trying to say. And so what we do is we look at people like that and we think, they're so inspiring, but it's demotivating. And some of you, last week, if you were here last week, you may have thought that about my friend Eleanor in Albania. I tell you the story um, about how two years ago her husband is shot dead outside the church because she's part of the blood feud. How then she assumes the role of the pastor of the church in a male-dominated world. How two years later she's visiting families, you know, who've been massacred by the blood feud and she's fighting the government and she's doing all these amazing things. And you can look at someone like that, like I do sometimes, and think they're just so not like me. They're so superhuman. But two and a half years ago, Eleanor was a pastor's wife and a mother of two small children. That's what she did. And what happened on the 8th of October 2010, that when Tani was shot dead, what happened was that she had a choice to make. How is she going to respond to what life has thrown at her? And she now, I think, lives out an extreme faith, not because she's superhuman or got superpowers, but I think she lives out an extreme faith because of the kind of prayers that she prays. You see, the kind of prayers that she prayed then and in this subsequent two years of this, she's prayed, Lord, this has happened to me, but let it be for your glory. Let Tani's death somehow let some good and some life come out of this. And I want to suggest to you, and this is my statement for you to think about this morning, people who exhibit extreme faith pray dangerous prayers. People who exhibit extreme faith, that kind of faith that inspires us, that we want to be like, they are no different from you and I apart from the prayers that they pray. And I want to prove that to you this morning. Now let me suggest some prayers that are not dangerous prayers, okay? This is not a dangerous prayer. Lord, here I am Lord, send her. That's not a dangerous prayer, okay? Many of us have prayed that, alright? Lord, here I am, send her. Or, Lord, if it's you on the water, ask him to come. That's not a dangerous prayer. This is not a dangerous prayer. Lord, whatever you ask me to do, I will do, unless it disturbs my comfort, safety, routine, or popularity on Facebook. That's not a dangerous prayer. But you see, many of us, and I I know this morning, not all of you would call yourself Christian. Some of you are exploring, you're investigating, you were just dragged here by somebody else. You're really welcome. We're really glad you're here. But if you do call yourself a Christian, many Christians stop praying dangerous prayers around about a few weeks or months or years after they became a Christian. 
See, when they first become a Christian, they pray all kinds of dangerous prayers because they don't know any better. But what happens in time, what happens in time is that we settle down, we get a bit of experience, we stop praying dangerous prayers, and we wonder why our faith has become so dull, routine, boring, and predictable. I want to suggest to you this morning, we've called this series Extreme, not because I think we should do extreme things like these guys do, but because our faith needs redefining. You see, when I look at my friend Eleanor, she wouldn't say that she's got an extreme faith. It's just normal to her now. She lives that kind of way because of the prayers that she prays and the way she's redefined normal. When you look in the early church in the book of Acts, they didn't get up and say, let's do an extreme thing for God today. Go on, let's just do one extreme thing for the year and pat ourselves on the back. They just got up and they served God and they lived their life and we read it and we think it's extreme, but actually it was normal. What we've done is we've taken normal and we've redefined normal way down here. So if we pray for somebody once a year, we think that's really extreme. That's normal. If we see miracles, we think that's wow, that was normal. If we take the stuff that God has given us and we give it back to God and we serve the poor and we meet needs and we share our faith, we think we're doing something extreme. God says that's normal. That's normal Christian living. We need to redefine what normal is is all about. And I want to suggest to you today that it starts with the kind of prayers that you and I pray. Now I don't know about you, but I I find prayer really difficult. Does anybody in this room, apart from me, find prayer? I'm just not a great prayer in terms of how we define prayer. I find it hard to concentrate. I find it hard to stay kind of focused. I'm not great when I'm just sat there. I need to be moving. I'm that kind of person. I pray more now on my bike cycling than in any other situation. I just find it difficult. And one of the reasons I think I find prayer difficult is because we've messed prayer up. We've taken what was meant to be normal, natural communication between ourselves and God and we've made it something completely different. Take a look at the screen. See if you recognize any of this. Joel Carpenter is a new Christian. So to help him pray, we've hired that super pastor guy you see on TV. God, please help my marriage. We're just really struggling right now. Oh, Heavenly Father, He who's created all things, makes the sun and moon rise at His command. I beseech you, take this woman that you've given to me as a helpmate and bring her to her senses that we might abide together forever in a purpose-driven marriage. God, I'm really frustrated at work. Help me find a new job. I ask you now, in this area of employment, thee who gives me the sustenance in an employer fashion, please guide me to something, if it be your will, that would bring you glory. My kids are driving me crazy. I I don't know what to do. You just help me out. You have blessed me also with many young saplings. And I ask at this day that you would help me and my helpmate to raise them in the way of your word. Amen, God. And now I end this time with you, Lord, bowing before you, giving you all that you deserve in sacrifice and in sacrament. Let it be known that the Alpha Omega is pleased. Amen. God go. Real people, real prayers. I don't think you're recognizing that. I really, I'm going to work on that voice. Oh, that's a great voice. Gloria. I'm going to do the word. But when you look at that, you see what we've taken as human and natural and real, 
We've created all that around it. And it's funny, at the nine o'clock, somebody came to me after and said, thank you so much for that. She actually broke down. She says, that's what I thought prayer had to be all of my life. So I, 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 I get stuck with prayer so much because that's what I thought I had to do in order for God to listen to me. And yet that's not it at all. So what I want to do this morning is I want to give you six dangerous prayers that are really short are really easy and are really natural. And this is taken from something I heard and read many years ago by a guy called Bill Hybels. And he wrote, he did five dangerous prayers. And I'm going to use his titles because they're brilliant. And I'm going to put my own kind of thoughts around it. And then I'm going to add a sixth one of my own onto the end. Okay, so I want to share them with you. And if you start praying these kind of dangerous prayers on an ongoing, regular basis, you will start developing the kind of faith that you want to have. The kind of faith that you see in others that inspires you. The kind of faith that deep down you know that you were created for and that you were born for. So the first prayer, there's a dangerous prayer, is search me. And what we're going to do this morning, not because I want to be like teach a child or any of that kind of thing, but I want you to get used to hearing your voice say the prayer. I'd like us to say it together. Is that all right? It's just two words. So the first prayer is... Fantastic. Search me. This is the prayer that David prayed in Psalm 139. It says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, this is a dangerous prayer because what David's saying to God is this. God, switch the searchlight of your Holy Spirit on, on the inside of me, and reveal anything or everything that's in there that's not right. And there's three levels. He starts with the heart. He says, search me and know my heart. Because the Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all things. And you might think, well, I'm a Christian now, so my heart is, it, it isn't deceitful. It really is. The heart is deceitful above all things. And David knew that. But it's not just the heart. It's also, he says, test my anxious thoughts. Because the mind is where the battleground is won or lost, isn't it? And he's saying, search me. See if there's anything in the way I think that's wrong. And this is dangerous. And then he goes on beyond that and he says, see if there's any offensive way in me at all. In other words, just my whole life. The way I live my life. The way I use Facebook. The way I post photos onto Facebook. The way I use Twitter. The way I use all these things. He said, is there anything in the way that I do anything that's offensive to you, God? That's a dangerous prayer, isn't it? I want to suggest that when you're a new Christian, you pray those kind of prayers. I was brought up in a denomination where, um, which I have the utmost respect for and, and thank God for. Can I say that before I say what I'm about to say? We were in my denomination where I grew up. We were, we had this kind of belief, really. I guess uh, it was implied, not only, not just stated, but but that if you did something wrong, somehow you would lose your salvation. So as a teenager, I can remember uh, responding to God. I got saved 343 times in one week. Do you know what I mean? Because I thought I've got to keep doing this. But you know, there's a downside to that, of course. But the other side was, I didn't want to let God down. And I was sensitive to, to that. And yet when you go on as a Christian longer and longer, that sensitivity can diminish, can't it? And so David, who wrote that psalm, in 1 Samuel 24, he's hiding in a cave. And his enemy Saul is before him and he could kill him. But he doesn't kill him because he's too sensitive for that. But then later on, when he's king and he should know better, he sleeps with another woman gets her husband killed, gets pregnant and keeps it a secret for more than two years because the heart is deceitful above all things. Just two weeks ago, I was absolutely staggered and so disappointed and upset when I heard that a very famous preacher and communicator in this country 
someone who I respect a lot, I've been, heard a lot of him, read a lot of his books, etc., etc. When I heard and read that recently he's left his wife and four children and is in a relationship with one of the younger girls in his team, I was absolutely staggered and so disappointed. And um, before long, <laughs> before long though, God said to me, and that could happen to anybody including you. Because you see, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, don't be so naive, it says in the message, and self-confident. You're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easy as anyone else. But if we keep praying the search me prayer, we've got a chance. It's a dangerous prayer. But if you mean it, God will shine his light. And he'll reveal things in your heart and in your mind and in your life. And if you mean it, you'll do something about it. But it all starts with the dangerous prayer Search me. The second prayer is break me. So why don't we try it together? Break me. Bill Hybels himself said this, you cannot grow as a Christian unless you learn to ask for brokenness. Now who gets up Monday morning and says, Lord, break me? Who asks for brokenness? Well, Nehemiah did. In the Old Testament, an Old Testament book, a guy called Nehemiah, let me just tell you who he was. He was a Jew, he was a Hebrew, um, but he was away in Babylon because they were in captivity. And he was, the Bible said, a cupbearer to the king. In other words, he was a civil servant. And um, one day, some people from Jerusalem, his hometown, they came to the palace. And he made the mistake, I suppose, you could call it that, of asking a question. And the question he asked was, tell me, what's going on in the homeland? What's life like in Jerusalem? Have you ever asked someone the question, how are you, and wish you hadn't asked? Anyone? Or was it just me? <laughs> and he, asked, he did that kind of thing. He, says, he said, what's going on in the homeland? And they said, it's terrible. He said, the gates are burned. The walls are broken down. The people are living in ruins and in disgrace. The name of God is in disgrace. There's no hope. It's awful. It's awful. It's terrible. And Nehemiah didn't say, oh, I'm glad I've asked and back out of the room. Do you know what he did? The Bible says in Nehemiah chapter 1, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. What I did was I allowed God to break me. I prayed the break me prayer. And you know, when you pray the break me prayer and you allow something in the world or some issue or some person to break you on the inside, God won't leave you in that state of brokenness. Because a little bit later, Nehemiah gets up from the, the weeping and the praying and he walks into the king's palace and the king said, why are you so sad? And Nehemiah tells him, and then he says to the king, and I need to ask you to release me because I'm going to go back to Jerusalem and I'm going to make a difference. In fact, I'm going to go and change the world. But you do not change the world unless you're first broken. Do you know that? Unless you allow God to break you, you'll never impact anyone or anything. And so he prayed the break me prayer. But that's the Bible. But who in real life would ever pray the break me prayer? Who in real life? That's the Bible. But come on, in real life, nobody would ever pray never ask God for brokenness, would they? Well, Bob Pierce did. If you don't know who Bob Pierce is, in 1947, Bob Pierce was an American um, businessman, uh, a Christian, but a businessman, and he was traveling, because you can be both, and because he, he was traveling uh, to China. And in 1947, China was a very different place than it is now, and there was incredible poverty. And he went and visited a young girl who was in utter poverty, and he allowed God to break him. He prayed the break me prayer. And actually out of that comes a world famous quote from his, which is this, let my heart always be broken for the things that break God's heart. Let my heart always be broken for the things that break God's heart. He was so broken 
that as he went back to America, he decided to sponsor the child financially so that child could get out of poverty. But not only that, he said, you know what, I'm a businessman, I've got an organisation, I've got skills. And he developed a model of child sponsorship. And not only that, but he turned that into an organisation that we now know as World Vision. That's fed and supported thousands, if not millions of children all across the world. That spawned a whole load of other organisations like Compassion and other people who are using the same type of model to try and help children come out of poverty. It started when one man said, break me. Break me, Lord. And I wonder, what breaks your heart this morning? What breaks your heart? You know, I mean, when we watched this week, didn't we, on our TVs about those two police officers just shot dead in Manchester. You think, God, you know, that utter violence and evil, does that break you? Think about children. You think about human trafficking. You know, you saw up on the screen, and uh, it's not on my notes at all, but on the 17th of October, Salt Miner coming to do a play here on the whole issue of human trafficking. And they want you to come. You might say, oh, I don't want to, you know, it might mess me up. Of course it will mess you up. It's the idea. God wants to mess us up. We need more messing up, don't we? Thanks, Chris. (laughs) We do. What issue is it that messes you up? What issue is it that breaks you? When you pray the break me prayer, you better be on your guard because something's going to happen. Now, here's the thing. You can go to a situation... You can go to a, a, um, a group of people and you can remain completely unchanged. It staggers me how many people go to Zambia or to other places and they're completely unchanged. They go and they do the stuff and they come back, but they're unchanged. Why are they unchanged? Because they didn't pray the break me prayer. Because they went and did the stuff, but they didn't allow God to break them on the inside. But if you pray the break me prayer, you will start to develop an extreme faith which is inspiring, and the kind of faith that you know deep down is why you were born. Number three, the third dangerous prayer is stretch me. Should we say that together? Stretch me. And in 1 Kings 17, I'm going to dive into this story. Here's the Bible character called Elijah, and um, great character. Uh, And he's in a situation where he's got to trust God for himself. He's on his own by a brook, and he's got no food, and ravens are miraculously bringing McDonald's in every morning for him. He's not that unfortunate, but they brought food in. Uh, and And then he moves to Zarephath, this village, and he stays with a widow, and she gives him home cooking all the time, and life is fantastic. But then her son gets sick and dies. And so she, she says to him, hang on a minute, you're the man of God. Everything was fine before you came. Now you come into the house and my son's dead. What are you going to do about it? So what kind of prayer are you going to pray? In that situation, okay, you've gone into someone's house and their son has died and she's blaming you and saying, what are you going to do about it? What kind of prayer are you going to pray? Is it the get me out of here prayer? Is it the where's Dan Bennett when you need him prayer? Is it that prayer? Well, actually, that's not the prayer that Elijah prayed. Because if you look in 1 Kings 17, verse 19, it says, Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought tragedy also upon this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? But then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this boy's life return to me. The Lord heard Elijah's cries and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. I want to extrapolate out of that an idea that did he pray a prayer almost like stretch me, O Lord. In other words, I'm in this situation. Everything within me wants to get out, okay? 
But actually, I'm not going to pray the get me out prayer. I'm going to pray, stretch me, God, in order that I could meet the need or you could meet the need through me in this situation. I wonder how many of us have been in situations where our first instinct is to pray the protection prayer or the self-preservation prayer or the escapist prayer when actually God wants us to pray the stretch me prayer. Some of you right now, you're in situations at work, in your life, in your marriage, in your health. I want to encourage you, start praying the stretch me prayer because God will stretch you. Do you know that? And when God stretches you, amazing things will happen. You see, we all want our faith to grow, but we don't want to pay the cost to cause it to grow. We all want a miracle, but we don't want to be in a place where we need a miracle. And interestingly enough, and I'm going to show this to you on the flip chart, when you look at how faith grows... It's really, really simple at one level and difficult at another. One of my all-time favourite quotes by uh, one of our great theologians of this country called John Cleese uh, is this, okay? He said this many years ago, and I've said this before many times, I know that. And and this only really works if you're British, all right, Uh, or English. English, let's say English. He says, the goal of every Englishman is to get safely to his grave without ever having been embarrassed. And uh, if, if you're English or you know that, you'll understand that. And I look at that and I think, do you know what? Sometimes the goal of every believer is to get safely through their faith without ever having been embarrassed. But I want to tell you something, and I believe God spoke to me about this. I've never thought about this before. Embarrassment is vital if you want your faith to grow. Your faith cannot grow without you being embarrassed. Whoa, I've never heard that. I've never read that in my Bible. Let me show it to you. So Peter is in the boat. yes. And Jesus is walking on the what? And, and Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. What's he got to do? Get out the boat. Then what's he got to do? And what happens? He sinks. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. He failed. There's fear, there's failure, and there's embarrassment. But you know, when he gets back in the boat, the other guys, no fear, no failure, no embarrassment, dry. Totally dry. Didn't get the thrill of walking on the water. Didn't get the thrill of Jesus lifting them up. Didn't get any of that. Their comfort zone was exactly the same as it was before. Peter's had grown. Isn't that interesting? Because what happens is that we all have, if you like, our original comfort zone. That's where we're safe. That's where there's no fear. That's where there's no embarrassment. That's where we're not going to fail because it's our comfort zone. But actually, I think all of us, we want a kind of enlarged, new comfort zone. We want to grow. So I want a pen that works. The only way to get from here to here. So here's the kind of people that we look at and they inspire us. But what we don't realize is that those kind of people were here as well. But what happens is that every time we make a step, when we get out the boat, we go to a new level, we enlarge our comfort zone. And then when we do it again, we enlarge it again. Then we do it again, we enlarge it. But every time we step out at these points, we have to deal with these three characters called fear, failure and embarrassment. And if we're not going to deal with them, guess what? We'll stay the same. And wouldn't it be tragic if your comfort zone and my comfort zone was exactly the same size when I became a Christian as it is when I go to be with God at the end of my life. That would be awful, wouldn't it? I don't want it to be there. I want to look back and say, hey, that was my comfort zone, but it's here now. And along the way, there's been a lot of failure, a lot of embarrassment, and a lot of fear, but a lot of growth. 
And it starts with the stretch me prayer. Some of you right now are in a situation and you've got to flip the prayer that you're praying. You've got to start praying stretch me. I can't tell you how many times Alison and myself have prayed the stretch me prayer with Simeon and with our situation at home. And Josh as well. He's here as well. But we've done it lots of times. Many of you as parents know that. We've prayed it, you know, how many meetings I've gone into recently, building meetings and difficult things way outside of my comfort zone. And all, I, all I've had the time to say, Lord, would you stretch me? Would you stretch me and fill that gap? Would you stretch me, Lord? And I want to suggest that if you want your faith to grow, it's only going to happen as you start to pray a dangerous prayer. Fourth prayer is, actually, I want to say one more thing. Uh, this was something I wrote on my notes this morning and I forgot at the nine o'clock and, uh, and this is important. One of the ways that you'll grow is by doing the things that God tells you to do. And one of the things that God tells you to do is when you make a commitment to follow Jesus to get baptised. Now I want to say to you, I understand totally why people struggle with getting baptised and a lot of it is to do with these kind of issues that I've just said. They don't want to speak in public they think they're going to get embarrassed. They're not sure whether Dan and Simon will hold them under for 20 minutes. All right, And I understand all that. Can I tell you, we can help you navigate through every single one of those things. But if you want your faith to grow, you have to do it. The Bible says, believe and get baptised. Not when you're good enough. Not when you're clever enough. Not when you're eloquent enough. Not when your testimony has got all the music and everything else going. But you believe and you get baptised. Some of you, you've left it for so long that you're embarrassed now to do it. Because you think I've been a Christian for so long. Get over the embarrassment. Get baptised. Your faith will grow. The other thing that's interesting is that when we share our faith with other people, our faith grows. Doesn't it? And you think, oh, when I used to be a new Christian, I used to share my faith all the time. It's been a long time. And then you look at your faith and you think, why is my faith so dull, boring and predictable? Well, it is because you're not doing the things that make it grow and exciting and relevant and extreme. And so again, come to boot camp, learn how to do it. Pick up some invites for Alpha. Start inviting some people along. I'll tell you what, there is nothing like being involved with new Christians that makes your faith come alive and grow. But some of us who've been Christians a long time, we've got ourselves stuck in a rut. And because of fear, embarrassment, or the fear of failure, we won't get out that rut. And do you know what? The difference between a rut and a grave is only depth. It's only depth. And the longer you stay in a rut, you'll soon be in a spiritual grave. But we can start praying, stretch me prayers, and we can start seeing God do some great things. Okay, number four, lead me. Should we say that together? Lead me. And so, um, Moses in Exodus 33, he says to God, you've told me to lead these people, God. There's two million or so of them. They're whinging, they're moaning, they're whining. You've told me to lead them. He said, and then basically what he says, but, but you have to lead me. You have to teach me your ways. You have to give me your presence. You have to show me your glory. If you don't lead me, I can't lead them. And that's a great thing. And every day of our life, we can get up in the morning and we can say, Lord, today, lead me. And here's the thing. When you pray the lead me prayer, what a lot of Christians do is that they then sit and don't do anything. With their Christian life. Because they're waiting for God to come and do something. When you pray lead me prayer. If you pray it enough. It's amazing how many coincidences happen in your life. Do you know that? Where all of a sudden somebody's there. And they're asking you about God. Or there's a situation where you could meet a need. And you're like oh that's a coincidence isn't it? No it's not. You prayed lead me and God answers. Anyone know what I'm talking about? 
And when you pray the lead me prayer, and when your ears are open, and when your life is moving, and you're working hard, because that's biblical, and you're looking after your family, because that's biblical, and you're living life, just doing life. When you pray the lead me prayer, and you're doing life, and your ears are open, it's amazing how many times you'll think that's a coincidence. No, it's not. God's at work, because you prayed the lead me prayer. I want to read you a story, which has got to be one of my all-time favorite stories and I've got some of my own in terms of lead me but it's just this is just a great story and um, it's from a guy called Tony Campolo who some of you will uh, know about and you may have heard the story before because I've read it here before as well but I want you to I want you to listen to it and there's a, a little bit of humor in it but there's a whole lot of God in it as well and this is what it says so Tony Campolo says this when it comes to being led by the spirit sometimes there's a lot of fun to be had Several years ago, I was invited to speak at a small Pentecostal college located near the college where I teach. I love going to this little school because the power there, the people there, sorry, seem to be so in touch with the power of the Holy Spirit. Before the chapel service, several of the faculty members took me into a side room to pray with me. I got down on my knees and the six of them put their hands on my head and prayed for me, asking the Holy Spirit to fill me up and to use me effectively as I spoke to the students. Pentecostals seem to pray longer and with more dynamism than we Baptists do, is what he says. These men prayed long, and the longer they prayed, the more they leaned on my head. They prayed on and on and on, and they leaned harder and harder and harder. One of them kept whispering, do you feel the Spirit? Do you feel the Spirit? To tell the truth, I felt something right at the base of my neck, but I wasn't sure it was the Spirit. (laughs) One of the faculty members prayed at length about a particular man named Charlie Stolzfus. That kind of ticked me off. And I thought to myself, if you're going to lean on my head, the least you can do is pray for me. He prayed on and on and on for this guy, Charlie Stolfus, who was about to abandon his wife and three children. I can still hear him calling out, Lord, Lord, don't let that man leave his wife and children. Send an angel to bring that man back to his family. Don't let that family be destroyed. You know who I'm talking about, Lord. You know who I'm talking about. Charlie Stolzfus. He lives down the road about a mile on the right-hand side in a silver trailer. I thought to myself with some kind of exasperation, God knows where he lives. (laughs) What do you think God's doing? I thought, sitting up there in heaven saying, give me that address again. Not quite sure. (laughs) following following the chapel talk I got in my car and headed home I was getting onto the Pennsylvania Turnpike Road when I saw a young man hitchhiking on the side of the road I picked him up I know you're not supposed to but I'm a Baptist preacher and whenever I can get someone locked in to where I preach to them I'm going to do it as we pulled onto the highway I introduced myself hi my name's Tony Campolo what's your name he said my name's Charlie Stolzfus I didn't say a word I drove down the turnpike, got off at the next exit, turned around and headed back. When I did that, he looked at me and said, Hey, mister, where are you taking me? He said, I'm taking you home. He said, Why? And I said, Because you just left your wife and three children, right? He said, Right, right. I leaned against the passenger door. He leaned against the passenger door the rest of the way, staring at me. I drove off the turnpike and onto a side road straight to his silver house trailer. <laughs> When I pulled into the drive, he looked at me with astonishment. How did you know I lived here? I said, God told me. (laughs) And then he says this. Well, I believe that God did tell me. I think God may set up things like that just for fun. I mean, if you're God, you're probably having a pretty sad time looking down on all the things that are going on in the world. I can just imagine God nudging Peter and saying, hey, Pete, watch this. (laughs) So then I told Charlie, you get in that house 
because I want to talk to you and I want to talk to your wife. He ran into the mobile home ahead of me and I don't know what he said to his wife, but when I got in the house trailer, her eyes were as wide as saucers. I sat them down and said, I'm going to talk and you're both going to listen. Man, did they listen. And during the next hour, I led both of them into a personal relationship with Jesus. And today, that guy is a Pentecostal preacher down south. When the Spirit leads, there are all kinds of surprises in store for us. It's not a great story. And you know, I, I just want to say, they don't all have to be as dramatic as that, but they might be. But they start when you pray, lead me prayer. And you say, Lord, today I'm going to work again. I'm going to college again. Some of you guys are heading back to university for your second year or your first year. Lead me. Pray the lead me prayer. You will be amazed at what God will do. Then the challenge is this, that when he does orchestrate some things, are you going to respond? Or because of fear, failure or embarrassment, are you going to stay here and just longingly look at other people who have the kind of faith that you want? Or are you going to pray, Lord, lead me? And where you lead me, Lord, I'm going to follow. Prayer number five, use me. Why don't we say it together? Use me. And so we've already sung this morning and Mike gave us that kind of pictorial image there, which might be a slightly strange for some of you to think about, of that kind of vision of God and the throne room and all that. What does it all mean? But in the Bible, Isaiah, who was a prophet, he had a vision like that and he saw God's divine holiness. And he saw in the light of that how kind of dirty he was. He saw his own, the Bible calls it sin, sinfulness. But then he received forgiveness. And then God said, so whom is going to go for us now? And as I said, here I am, Lord, here am I, Lord, send me. In other words, use me. And I think when we hear the word use, we think, oh, I don't want to be used. You know, oh, he used me, she used me. We think about it in an abusive way. But that's not what it means. When we say, Lord, willingly, I want to offer my one and only life to you. I want to be useful to you and your kingdom for your glory. That's a whole different thing, isn't it? And the Bible says in Ephesians 2 verse 10, from the message it says, He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join Him in the work He does. The good work He's gotten ready for us to do. Work we had better be doing. And I want you to know, every single one of you are made for a purpose. Do you know that? You are created for purpose. God can use you for His kingdom and His glory. But you've got to pray the use me prayer. You've got to be willing to be used by God. You know, we're looking at boot camp at the moment and to be trained to share our faith. How many of you have ever heard of a man by the name of Billy Graham? Stick your hand up if you've heard of the name Billy Graham. Reinhard Bonnke. Louis Palau. Simon Woodward. <laughs> Frank Jenner. Oh, just like one or two of you. That's interesting. So you've heard of all those other famous names, but you haven't heard of Frank Jenner. That's in, let me tell you about Frank Jenner. See, th this is an amazing story, and it's true, which makes it even more amazing. But many years ago, a pastor in the South, in, in, in England, I think a Baptist pastor, I think, Francis Dixon, I think his name was, and he's uh, uh, got someone from his church who's test make, sharing their story, okay, about what God's in their life. And they tell the story that I was a sailor, and then many months ago, I was, I pulled into, we pulled, our boat pulled into the harbour in Sydney. And I was in the Sydney city. And I was walking down this street called George Street. When this man came up to me and said, excuse me, can I ask you a question? If you were to die tonight, do you know where you'd go? And basically started talking to me about God. And then he just asked me to think about it and off he went. So he said, nobody's ever asked me that before. And I did think about it. And later on, I gave my life to Christ and I'm here now. 
And the pastor thought, oh, that's an amazing story. But then he was at another church where he heard somebody else share exactly the same kind of story, who was also a sailor, who was in Sydney, who walked up and down George Street, and an old man came up to him and asked him the same kind of question, and he became a Christian. Then what happened is that this pastor started going around preaching in different conventions and conferences in different countries. And wherever he went, he heard somebody give the same type of story who tracked it back to a man that walked up and down a street in George Street in Sydney. And then sometime later, he found himself speaking at an event in Sydney, Australia. So the pastor thought, I'm going to check this out myself. So he asked some of the local leaders, wherever I've been, I've heard these amazing stories about this old man in George Street in Sydney that walks up and down asking strangers about where they're going to go if they die and do they know God? And could they think about it? He said, is this just like an urban myth? Is this like a legend, a fairy tale? And they all said, oh, no, no, we know that guy. His name's Frank Jenner. And the pastor said, I'd love to meet him. Can you take me? And so they took him to meet this guy and they knocked on the door and the guy opens the door and they explain who they are. They say, I come from England and I just want to talk to you. And he let them in and they had a cup of tea or whatever. And amazingly enough, as the pastor began to tell the story of all these people he'd met all over the world who all tracked their spiritual journey to the conversation they'd had with this man in George Street. And this is where it gets amazing. The little old man said, and tears are running down his cheeks. He says, do you know what? For 16 years I've been doing this. I have never heard of anybody who's ever responded. For 16 years I've been doing this. I've never heard of anybody who's responded. And the guy just said, well, you need to know there are hundreds of people all over the world who are going on with God because you asked them a question. Now, I'm not talking here about a style of evangelism and what's the most effective way to evangelize. That's a whole different conversation. We'll talk about that at boot camp. What I'm saying that here is a man who prayed the use me prayer. And then what's even more amazing to me, he then began to tell his story and said, you know, years ago I was a sailor and I was a gambler and I was away from God, but I became a Christian. And when I gave my life to Christ, I said to Christ, God, I'm going to give you my one and only life. And you know what? He prayed the use me prayer and he said, I want you to use me in whatever way you can to talk to other people about Jesus. And then having prayed that prayer, he then made a commitment that he was going to talk to strangers at least 10 people every day for the rest of his life. He died some years later of Parkinson's disease. And someone's worked out that over the time from when he became a Christian and prayed that prayer to when he died, he probably would have spoken to 100,000 people. Isn't that amazing? And none of you really had heard his name. But God knows his name. Because there's someone that said, use me, Lord. And even though for 16 years he never had any positive feedback, he never had any sense of fruit, he was used by God. I want to be like that, don't you? Not in that necessarily in that way, but just to say, Lord, here I am, use me. And the final one is this, fill me. Why don't we say it together? Fill me. And so in Acts chapter 4, amazing scripture again. The early church are really rocking the town and everything's happening. It's amazing. And God's doing some incredible things. But they get pulled in to see the authorities. And the authorities say to them, you better stop this talk about Jesus and stop this prayer and all this business or we are going to really batter you. We are going to persecute you. You're going to be in prison. You may even lose your lives. So the, the apostles come out and they report to the church. They say, well, guys, God's doing some great things and you know the authorities are taking us in there and they're basically going to shut us down. They're going to put us in prison. They may even kill us if we carry on doing what we're doing. So then they pray. When they heard this, they raised their voices, verse 24, Acts 4, together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in it. You spoke by the Holy Spirit. Then he goes on to say in verse 30, stretch out your hand to heal 
and perform miraculous signs and wonders to the name of your servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. And I want to extrapolate out of that just an idea that when we're under pressure and when we're in situations where we're tempted to pray the beam me up Scotty prayer, if you remember Star Trek, or the get me out of here prayer, how about stopping that and how about praying the fill me prayer? Lord, would you fill me with your spirit? Would you fill me with courage? Would you fill me with boldness? Would you fill me with tenacity? Would you fill me with endurance and perseverance? Would you fill me so that actually I'm not going to run away, but I'm going to grow. My faith is going to grow as you work in me by the power of your Holy Spirit. It all starts with a dangerous prayer. Can we pray? Let's bow our heads for a moment. Ask the band to come back quickly if you can. And I want us to do a couple of things this morning. I just sense that in preparing for this, that, that God wanted us to do a couple of things. One of the things I'm going to invite all of us to do, and it's an invitation so you don't need to do it, but I'm going to give you an opportunity to all of us respond this morning, and I'll explain that in a moment. But before we do that, if you can start, Gareth, I want to just home in on a couple of these prayers because I believe that God really has brought you here today because he wants to encourage you. And especially I want to home in on two of these prayers. I want to home in on the stretch me prayer and I want to home in on the fill me prayer. So while we've got our eyes closed this morning, if you're in a situation where you know that instinctively, you just know that the prayer you want to pray and that you need to pray is stretch me. You're in a situation that's outside of your control. Life is tough around you and you feel under pressure and you feel that you just haven't got what it takes and there's a lot in you that's saying get me out of here do you know what I mean just get me out but actually God this morning has brought you here because he wants you to to flip that prayer and to start praying the stretch me prayer then I want to ask you to stand up because I want to pray for you this morning so if that's you this morning and you are in a situation where you need God to stretch you that's great is there any others then you just respond to him this morning Jesus, Jesus. And if you're able, and if you want to, you might want to stretch your arms out just to, again, reinforce this is what the prayer that you're praying. Father, I want to pray for all these people who are standing right now. Lord, they're where they are in life. You know it. You may not have caused it, but you are there with them as well. God, I want to pray that as they are responding to you now and saying, Lord, stretch me. God, I pray that you would do that and you would take them at their word and you would stretch them. And in the stretching, Lord, I pray that they, and I believe God wants you to know this. In the stretching, God wants you to know you will not break. In the stretching, you will not break. Lord, as you stretch them, God, I pray that you'd fill them with your spirit. And I pray that, Lord, in that situation, they would see Not only their own growth, but they would see the glory of God in that situation. Just as Elijah stretched himself and saw the glory of God, Lord, I pray that they would see the glory of God in the midst of this situation. Lord, however long it is that you're stretching them, God, would you give them the courage to keep going, I pray. And just meet them right where they are. Help them to know that they're being stretched by a God who made the universe. He's not stretched at all. He is more than able. He is more than able. And Lord, I pray they would know that in Jesus' name. Then let's all stand together, shall we? And I want to home in also on the fill me prayer. 
So I don't know when was the last time you asked God to fill you with his spirit. We're a Pentecostal church and we talk a lot about the spirit, but perhaps in, in, you know, in, in, in ways that are, are more accessible to lots of us. But you know, there's nothing that can replace that sense of needing to be filled with the spirit of God. You can say it however trendily you want to say it, but we need to be filled on an ongoing basis. The Bible says, be filled with the spirit. Don't get drunk on wine. All right. Two commands there. Don't get drunk on wine. And that means beer or anything else. Don't get drunk and do be filled. And the way that phrase, that word is phrased is it's a continuous present sense. So in other words, you're not just filled and that's it. It's a continuous thing. We're filled with the spirit. And so we're going to sing an old, really old refrain where we ask the spirit to fill us. And if this morning any of you need to be filled again with the spirit, we've got some people that would love to pray for you. It's not them that are going to fill you, it's God. But they can pray on your behalf, if you like, and ask God to fill you with His Spirit. So as we sing, if any of you need that this morning, you can come at the front. And then there's one more thing that we're going to do all together. But let's not rush. We've got some time. So if you need to be filled with God's Spirit again, perhaps you say, God, I need to be filled with courage and boldness and all that stuff. That comes from the Spirit as well. So come and ask. Say, Lord, fill me again as we sing this old song together. Thanks. You know, um, my heart, and I know your heart as well here, is that, and even by calling this series extreme, I've kind of done that to provoke us. I'm not talking about that we should do a couple of extreme things once a year. Do you know what I mean? For God, like people do extreme sports. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about redefining normal so that actually we live a life that has that edge about it. And that starts by praying dangerous prayers. So what I've done is I've asked Lisa, our media, to design something that could help you every week. So there are six prayers. You might think, well, why didn't you make it seven? Because then the Sunday as well, and it's the perfect number and all that. Well, the six, and there's a good reason, because Sunday is the day when we come and we gather together to share stories with one another, to encourage one another, to pick each other up. But you don't need extreme faith for Sunday. You need it for the rest of the week. Because actually that's where it's really at, isn't it? Sunday is about coming and gathering and telling stories and inspiring and hearing God's word and being sent out again. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. That's where we need to really pray the prayers. So tomorrow, Monday, if you join this journey with us, pray the search me prayer. There's a scripture there and some prompts there. Then on Tuesday, break me. Wednesday, stretch me. Thursday, lead me. Friday, use me. Saturday, fill me. You can begin to pray those prayers. As you're going about your business, just say, Lord, fill me. Lord, stretch me. But as we begin to pray these prayers, could God fill us in such a way that he enlarges our comfort zone and takes us forward with him? So what we're going to do is we're going to multitask. We're going to continue to pray for people at the front. And um, it's all going to get a bit chaotic and a bit messy. But hey ho, I think that's good. It's a bit of life going on there, which is good. And if you want to pick up this challenge with us, I'm not going to give it to you. That's too easy just to get the stewards to hand it out. They're all around the front. You come and take one. If you want to pray, you say, I want to start praying dangerous prayers. Then you come and take one. Okay? We're going to sing a final song. It's a song we learned last week. That great song of surrender. Because ultimately that's what this is all about. Surrendering to the God who loves us. And we're going to say, God, you drive this car, not me. That's what it's all about. That's extreme faith. That's extreme living. And so as we sing this song, 
If you want to, then you come. Some here on the speaker, some on the front of this side can come down here, the middle and the side. And you take it with you as a way of responding to God. If you don't want to, if you're not ready, if you just don't want to do it, that's up to you. That's fine. But if you want to, then let's respond. And let's start praying some dangerous prayers. Amen. And let's see what God does as we pray.